Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to make them badly. Correct, in our very, <laughs> very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson, a writer, director and a producer. And on this week's episode, we have the amazing Carolina Gropper. Now, Carolina is an Emmy-nominated producer of the films, including Sylvie's Love, Miss Virginia, and the rather excellent Autism in Love. Myself and fellow host Dom Lamar sit down and have a chat with Carolina all about her producer's life, what it's like on set, the sense of wonder and how you keep it, how you can appreciate the journey, what to do when you are talk of the town, and how to support yourself financially when you're trying to be a filmmaker. She also talks about why she thought about quitting. And she gives you some amazing advice about how you can make it happen. And do you have the type of personality that can produce movies? Her films are out now. Do go support them. There will be a link in the show notes. And also check out her rather brilliant podcast, Angle on Producers. So all that with Carolina is coming up for you. But first of all, I'm sat here in my caravan. We're filming Wolves of War, as you know at the moment, our World War II movie for Picture Perfect and for Signature Entertainment. And I'm sat here with my first AD, Joe Stringer. Yeah, hello everybody. Well, we finished week two now, haven't we? Finished week two, yeah. How's it been for you as the first AD? It's been long, been a bit stressful, but I've really enjoyed it. And we're cracking on and getting the film made, which is what we've got to do. It's exactly what we've got to do. This is Joe Stringer, everyone. He's been quite a brilliant first AD. And he's really kept us ticking along because we needed to. Because it's a very tight shoot. It's always, when you're making a big action movie like this as well, mm. there is explosions, there is fights, there is gunfights, there's a lot of dialogue. How many pages did we do yes- yesterday? We've got a day off today, so yes. I have no idea what day yesterday yes. was. Yesterday was nine pages. Nine pages! Which included all our lead principles, pretty much. All of our principles into the first scene and stunt action at one point and a shortened day and location, so it was, just, it was a long one. But we we finished with all of our pages in the can. Woohoo! So that's the big thing, really. But, but isn't it sometimes that, that compromise thing you have to do when you set out sort of to make a film in any way and then you, your bar is really high? Mm. And then you have to compromise, and then mm. you compromise again during the day, and then right at the end of the day, you compromise even more by yeah. going, get the shots to tell the story. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, for me, the like that's what ADing is. It's a lot about managing compromise and kind of trying to weigh out all the factors of any given scene. You might have a certain amount of time on a set dress. You need certain actors to get through the chair. Makeup chair. Makeup chair. Costume in order chair. to be there, to be on camera, you need to light the space. You need to block any action safely uh, or stunt safely if there's any of that. Um, you need to cover it if you've got lots of people in it, like the amount of shots to if you've got five people standing in a room and then two of them move, you then suddenly have a huge amount of shots in order to properly make your edit look any good. So it's, it's weighing up all those factors and trying to make sure that when the editor picks up the footage and the director jumps into the edit room that they have a film there to make and they can actually put out tell the story with what we've shot and it's true because you don't you just do, do have to sort of dive in and to, to do make the stand that's the most important thing i think that's why it's great that i learned to edit early on mm. and you can edit joe and i think that helps you when you're in the trenches literally and you going, how am I going to get through this scene? Okay, how can it cut from there to there? What's my ins? What's my mm. outs? What do I need? It's knowing what you don't need as well. Mm. A lot of directors, some directors overshoot and get themselves in a in a bit of a corner because they've shot more than they've needed in the morning and then leave an afternoon where they don't have enough time to get anything like what they need. Whereas if you have, if you have a person who can keep one eye on their edit and be considering, I have... Maybe you've shot your scenes three minutes and you've shot a master of it and you know you're going to be on your close-ups for this moment and this moment and this moment and you, you don't love your performance in those moments for your wide but you can move on because you've got, you know what you need from the shot 
and you've got it and then you come in for your close-ups you make sure those sections are covered and it's it's a lot of thinking but that level of thinking allows you to move quickly through your day allows you to kind of make your scenes much more make a, a I don't know, an 18-day movie look like you've shot it for a month. It is, it's all about preparation, and that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some fun on the drives in. So mm-hmm. Tom drives us in, Tom's happening on our third AD, and he drives me and Joe to set of Walls of War. And we have, because sort of, it's really early when we drive, and it's about a 30-minute drive sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes an hour and a half. Sometimes an hour and a half. Because it can be far away. And we have a little thing called Stringer Hour. We certainly do. Where Joe Stringer here um, plays tunes. Mm-hmm. Chills us out with his, with his, don't you? Yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're enjoying that. You're smiling. Now, I do, you? I do, and <laughs> it's <laughs> it's mood management, really. It's mood management. <laughs> it's an important job, but someone someone has to put me in the mood. Yeah, and I appreciate that, and yeah. it's fun, and I think that is important as well. Having trying to have a well-run set, so therefore everyone is making sure they're doing the jobs correctly, but at the same time in the right way. Also, a little bit of time for fun too. I think it is, especially with actors, they like to wind down and relax and if everyone's shouting and kicking off it, that doesn't put them in the best yeah and I think when you live in the world of indie filmmaking and lower end budget filmmaking you're never going to have enough time you're never going to have enough money what that means is that there's always going to be the stresses of can this be done we, we have to push really hard we have to work really hard you have to push through those hours but I think where you can keep things fun, respectful, make sure people are happy and feel looked after and feel respected in their job, then you're going to get people who can properly work for you and and want to put in those hours. But if you're, I think especially in in the world of ADing or producing, when you're needing people to really put in a shift for you, if you can, if people feel like you're looking out for them and um, caring about their job, caring about allowing them to do it properly, then, then you can get people to hopefully, I don't know, (laughs) <laughs> do their job the best they can I love that it was so beautiful uh, that was Joe Stringer everyone is a first AD uh, on this film Wolves of War thank you for joining us for that brief interlude thank you very much for having me so we giving some patron shout outs to our wonderful Patreons our main big ones because the moment our Patreon is getting bigger we have even more behind the scenes on it for you and for those of you who really enjoyed the Ben Wheatley podcast last week at the moment on our Patreon we have some more from Ben Wheatley some really cool little sound bites that we wanted to keep just for our Patreon listeners. So, the link to that is in the show notes, but find us on Patreon, the Filmmakers Podcast, and come and join the tribe. Shout outs to our top end Patreon subscribers Kevin Pybus and Marley J. Monroe, and our new Patreons Jason McCoglin and Josh Pooley. Welcome to the team. Right, let's get to it. This is this week's episode with Carolina Gropper and myself and co-host Dom Lenoir. Enjoy. Enjoy, everybody. Hello, hello. Hi. How's your day? It must be early there where you are. It's early, yeah. It's 11, so I'm into it. I'm into the day here, but Mm. we've been up since like 6 a.m. I'm... Yeah, oh. just got a lot going on this week and I'm actually leaving town next week to start a movie in Atlanta. So I'm just kind of like, oh my God, it just dawned on me that I'm going to be leaving home for three months, like last night. So I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah, it's like yeah. exciting, but also like my bed and my pillows <laughs> and everything. Three months. Where are you, where are you going to Atlanta? What is it you're mm-hmm. shooting? It'll be my first project, like my long, you know, feature project back post-pandemic so i'm i'm excited but you know scared all the things all those wonderful <laughs> things scared, scared yeah I know, apprehensive. Word, but you know it's just just like anxious rather anxious, just like yes. and it's a, it's a place i've never really been before atlanta obviously you guys may know it's a huge market out here so okay. um i've obviously know all about it and i hear atlanta is in a, a wonderful town but there's just that like oh it's not my people i've built my relationships in la for 15 years so It'll be great. I'm excited, but I'm also like, you know, just getting everything ready to move temporarily. It's wild. I'm excited for you. It's that Thank weird, you. wonderful buzz, isn't it, of going? Yeah, you yeah. Because I've shot, yeah, pretty much all my features away from home, um, mm. apart mm. from some part. The last one was in London, so I was commuting, and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy 
not really? being yeah. yeah I quite enjoy, I like being on location where you go home and you're in your hotel room and you're just thinking about the next day's filming interesting, some, interesting. when you come home you've got your family around you've got the kids around you you've, you've, you've got to dive into real life mm, so you like to be in the vortex you like to be in the vortex I'd of like the to be in it you yeah. don't like to be tapped yeah, out. I, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's fun being on location. Um, when I mean, I mean, like for my film, it was sort of down in Devon, which is, uh, and it was just a very unusual, sort of mysterious, atmospheric place. There was like these sort of black mountains everywhere, and these yeah, these rivers running through it. And it kind of it was almost like I was getting into character by by way of of <laughs> what I was sort of surrounded with, you know, on, yeah. on and off film. So so it was kind of cool, but there's there's certainly a there's certainly times when you just want to go back to your own bed and, and uh, you know, have your own sort of creature comforts and at home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it's a champagne problem. So yeah, it's champagne problem. <laughs> I, I think I'm used to the scouts and being kicked out of my house constantly when I was a kid. I enjoy being out. So but yeah. that wasn't the scouts. <laughs> no, that was yeah. just, no, I love, I love exploring the world. I mean, I, when I travel, I like to usually travel by myself in fact, and I like to just, you know, I, I don't care so much for the touristy things. I like to explore town on foot and do mm-hmm. the walking tours and catch like a, a, a locals four o'clock. Like what are they doing on a 4 p.m. on a Tuesday? Like that's the kind of stuff I live for. So I love yeah. the part where I get to immerse myself in another place for a couple of months. It's really exciting. But yeah, I think I just have never, all the features I've done, I've actually been in LA. So it'll be interesting um, it's it's definitely like some people love it, some people hate it. Some people really get that homesickness and they do want to have, you know, they have a family. They do want to come home to that or, or see mm-hmm. their kid or see their husband or their wife or whatever. And some people like that, I guess, circusy kind of vibe, especially if you have the luxury of getting maybe your partner or your family to come visit you or mm-hmm. live with you. Then I think that would be really fun. But, yeah. you know, ask me when I get there, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Must be a week or two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so you feel then. But it's true. I think going away as a producer or a director on a shoot is it's an exciting time and it is fun, but it, it can be apprehensive. And I think maybe that's the word apprehensive, isn't apprehensive. it? Apprehensive. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, until you know, it's like going to camp, right? Until you yeah. know you're going to like your bunk mates, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, what if they suck? But once you get there <laughs> and people are awesome, then you're like, all right, this is great. And yeah. then you have, you can't win. And then you finish a production, you come back home and then you're depressed because now you miss the, it's like, you just can't win, but that's life. Like that's yeah. such a good problem to have, you know. It is, and what, and you know, we're in that privileged position where we do get to make films, and it yeah. is amazing. There's no question about it. But you do, when you're there, you kind of miss home, and when you're at home, you miss there, you know. And yeah. that bubble will never come back again. And that's yeah. what I find fascinating about film. Well, yeah, I think I think it's you have to constantly work towards being present, and I think it's hard for a lot of producers because we you know, by nature, by default, are thinking about the future constantly or reflecting on the past to think, how do we do this better? How do we not from in our work lives? And I think at least for me, like it's challenging for that to not bleed over into all areas of my life. Mm -hmm. And then to be like, so in, in the experience, sometimes that you're not even that present. Sometimes I don't even realize what I've done until I'm on the other side of it. And I zoom out and people go, whoa, that that was a really cool experience you had. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. That was amazing. I was so mm. in it. I didn't even. I was just doing the thing, you know. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think you definitely need to take those moments when you are on set. I mean, there's there's obviously going to be some of those days where you're unbelievably tired. You haven't had enough sleep. <laughs> all the pressures yeah. on. You've got you know horrible deadlines to make. You're literally just sort of making it through the day. But, but there's other days when you you know it's just those like five or ten minutes on your lunch break when you might be in a really nice location or you know when you've got half an hour sort of downtime. And sometimes taking those moments to have a bit of peace of mind and, and, and unwind and you know enjoy it give you that kind of strength to go back in and get stuck in again in the film. I think you have yeah. to build in that balance of, of, of lightening up on yourself sometimes. Yeah. yeah. How do you do I that agree. then? How do you do that? Yeah, I, I want to know. Oh, how do I do that? Why yeah. not? You guys do that. Well, in, well, interesting, on my last feature, I remember the producer came over to me, I was directing the last one, and the producer came over to me and he said, Giles, just look around. And he said, just, just, just take in the moment. 
And I was in the middle. I literally had maybe two minutes left of the day. I had about 27 shots to do. I had two people in a grave. There was blood. There was mud. There was everything <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and this he, moment. <laughs> yeah, this moment you chose to say, just look around. You know, we had this beautiful, mm. huge light set up, beautiful mansion house, grave in the... I just went, I can't right now, Dean. I'm in the middle of this. <laughs> and it was just like, that actually wouldn't have been great if I could have just taken that moment. And just going, yeah, yeah, actually, what we're achieving here. But I, I don't know, is there a way that you can manage to compartmentalise yourself when you're on set and have those moments of appreciation or is there just not time? Yeah, I mean, I think as I've gotten older and have had more experiences under my belt, you start to realise when you're on the other side of the experience how quickly it all goes by. And if you have developed that project or spent years trying to get it off the ground, really those 30 days, however many days on set, are really precious compared to the rest of the the journey, right, of making that thing. So I think it is important to just take a step back and, and find those little moments for yourself, whether it is, I mean, sometimes even just like, you know, you're, you're peeing in a portable bathroom and you're like, yeah, this is not the best way to pee. But man, like if you open this door, you're in paradise, you know, shooting a movie or you're like, you're the thing is real. You're there. It's like you've thought about it. You've planned it. You, it. Everything is so theoretical. It's just like emails and conversations, you know, until you get mm. to set, it feels like. And so the, I think for me, I, I never want to lose that sense of like, wonder and wow and wow and just being awestruck mm. by that the fact like you said that it's such a privilege we get to do this and regardless of the size of your set or however impressive it looks just to be like we put this here we found the people we found the things we found the vendors we made the schedule we created this we created this opportunity in this moment in time so that this art can be brought to life and that regardless of what you're making I think that's magical so I I think 2020 pandemic uh, not that we're over it but really has taught me to just appreciate the journey so much more and I, I always harp on this and on my podcast I always talk about it and people who listen to my show and then meet me after are like, oh, you really are like this. Like you talk about this all the time at work. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's not a character. Like that's literally how I operate. But if you don't take those moments for yourself, no one's going to really give them to you. And ultimately the only thing we have is the experience of making the things. So take care of yourself as much as you can because those 30 days, however many days are precious, they're hard, but they also are going to be over very quickly. And, I, and yeah, I think if you can still find that magic within you to just be impressed by the fact that you get to do this and how many other people are sitting in an office wishing they could do that. Like mm. it, it's really magical. And I think it just comes back to gratitude really. And not to get, you know, woo woo or like become a you know motivational speaker on the show, but that's really what it comes back to me towards. It's like when I reflect back on my career and where I'm at today and how my path has unfolded, it's been really hard, you know, and a lot of those credits I've worked my ass off for all of them. You know, mm. I've earned those stripes, but I'm proud of all of it. I'm proud of the person it's made me and the producer it's made me. And it makes me a better collaborator to everybody. So I can really just kind of like sigh of release and kind of feel like I made it in that sense. Not that you ever arrive, but I've made it in the sense that like I'm able to create work I care about with people I care about that hopefully means something to other people. And that's ultimately what it's about. So yeah, that's that, beautiful. And, and I think I think if you have if you have those kind of people around you that are that special, it doesn't necessarily need to feel like work, even though you've got challenges yeah. coming up, you know, it, you've got people around that are keen to solve the problems. It should be kind of fun and, and creative, like, you know, at least a good portion of, you know, of the journey. And, and yeah. I, you know, I guess, I guess my, my, my sort of philosophy is, that especially when preparing for the next day's shoot, um, you know, if I've done the sort of general prep for the whole film, you know, well in advance, uh, and I'm aware of what's going on the next day, like, I, I think sometimes you have to give yourself space to to get a good night's sleep. Uh, you know, the, the amount of times I've seen people on set and they're they're so tired because they've been like you know, going over and over and over millions of details. And sometimes it's better to have a sharp mind and a, and yeah. a, a bit of rest and be <laughs> able to take the problem on as it comes yeah. and deal with it in five minutes than it is to sort of be in a state of complete stress throughout the whole day, oh, I, not able to I make agree. any decisions. I agree. Lack of sleep is real, especially as you get older. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
no comment, Giles. <laughs> no, no, no comment from my side. Um, what I found um, on my first film, I was so stressed and I was so worried about it. It was a studio movie as well. And I was like, I've got to impress. It's got to be right. It's got to be the... What I did, and I'm so glad I did, was I did a video blog every night of how I felt. It was like a therapy session for me. I could just get everything out and then I could talk about what I was going to do the next day and then I could sleep because otherwise it would just be spinning around in your head. But I was putting it down as if the camera was a person and just saying, this is, ah, this happened. Ah, this is terrible. What am I going to do about that? And as soon as I put it all down, it was like, all right, you've said it now. And I, I'd, I'd highly recommend that to anyone who's in a stressful position. Just put it on video because then it's yeah. real. <laughs> well, then you have a really cool yeah, documentation of a moment of a, mm-hmm. a part of your story that we forget. You forget that stuff that was keeping you up until three in the morning because ultimately it doesn't matter. Yes, <laughs> it know? doesn't matter. No, you're right. So, and, and, yeah. if, and if it doesn't work out, you've got an amazing documentation like the room. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. It's just me <laughs> crying into the camera going, oh, terrible. Don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You were born in Brazil, or you, you were certainly raised there until you were about nine. Can you remember what your first cinematic love was? Did you fall in love with cinema in Brazil, or was it when you moved to LA? I think I think c- cinema for me really felt like when I came to America because I really I was born in Brazil and I remember growing up watching television. And the first show that I was like mesmerized by was The Wonder Years. I don't know if that ever oh, made its you, way over it, the it pond. It made its way to us. Okay. Fred Savage was, and everything. Oh my Brilliant. god! But it was dubbed. You know, it was like Fred Savage dubbed in Portuguese. It's such an all-American show now looking back, but I don't know. There was just something about it that felt romantic and nostalgic and I just I still you know there's this Mm -hmm. like and I don't even know I didn't even know what that meant because that was so far from my culture but I just love that show and I think that was my first exposure to that kind of storytelling and to characters but ever since I've discovered my passion for story it it really has always been features like I go to watch a movie and I, I feel like every single part of that experience I'm the kind of person that has to sit till the credits end because depending on the movie I'm just like Oh, I need to catch my breath, you know, yeah. from the experience where like I'll go see movies with my dad, you know, it would be the dark, the saddest drama I've ever seen. And he's like, well, the guy dies. Let's go. You know, and I'm just like, oh, how could you just this person? We just felt them and their journey, you know, so yeah. I very much have been this person who really felt this yearning. And I remember I would sit in the theater and be like, I got to get away to find a way to do this and for me at the time I thought that was acting I was like I gotta Mm, experience this I gotta give this I gotta somehow be a part of this and I didn't know what that meant but my intro into the arts and filmmaking and um, was through acting and theater acting and something I still very much love Mm. Um, it's what got me out here to LA actually was I came out to pursue the acting thing right and then and then found producing as a as a means to create opportunity for myself and um you know, realized I was just quite good at it. Uh, not that I, I, I was an okay actor, I'd like to think, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, you just, you have to have the, a certain passion for it. And I just loved acting, but I hated the actor lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have yeah. to sign up for that here. And I just didn't want to do it. You know, I was like, if I can do it on my own terms, awesome. But if not, like, I don't know if I want to be at the helm of like, or at the whimsy of someone else's value of me and my worth, especially as a woman who ages like, or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. in the industry. So anyway, so producing came calling and it was just, it all made sense. I was like, oh, I've been this person my whole life. I didn't know there was a job title that matched Mm -hmm. who I've already always been. So that's cool. That makes total sense because when you see films as a kid, you don't see how it was made you you, in fact you don't even know there's cuts you just believe people were saying all the lines in a row and someone captured it on camera yeah that's what you think but actually so it makes sense that your first thing would be well i to be part of that i must need to be an actress because that makes total sense yeah my my route in was acting as well and it was Mm. falling in love with the other side of filmmaking you know, understanding producing and directing that just went, oh my gosh, this is incredible, you know, and getting yeah. the passion for it that was like, yeah, I don't need to be judged. I don't need to be vilified. I don't have to worry about how I look all the time and present myself. I can do that in a way that is to do with the job. 
you know, to do with making films rather than getting a job on how you look or how you act or how you say lines or how your hair flops. How did you go from sort of doing the acting thing to going, right, I'm going to produce? What was your journey there and how was it a piece that you were, you were going to be in, you were trying to create and then you fell into the producing kind of thing because no one else was doing it? And what happened with that project? How did that help you move forward? So I, this is 2009, which was like not the best year to be in Los Angeles. I moved out here in 06. Um, we had a writer strike shortly strike, thereafter. Right? Yeah. And then we had the, the the housing crisis that happened shortly in like 08. So 09 was not a great year. But I, I had already three years under my belt and I, I couldn't understand why I had already invested three years and I hadn't been discovered and I wasn't famous. You know, it was like... What is this? You know, I was just very like everybody, every 19 year old who moves to L.A. So so I got close to moving home because I had done the auditioning thing. And man, it was so hard and so different back then. This, these were the days where people could tell you things like, oh, we don't know what to do with you because you're ethnically ambiguous. Like you're not Latina wow. enough, but you're not white enough. Like casting directors would say this to me. So it felt like there really wasn't that person who was like, you've got it, kid. I'm going to help you get in mm. all the doors. You're just kind of like the bottom of the barrel really is, is really where we all start unless you're mm. lucky to get a leg in at a higher, you know, part of the industry. But, but anyway, so I, I got close to moving home and my mom was like, well, if you've tried everything and I was like, well, I guess I haven't tried producing my own work and I wasn't really a mm. writer and I didn't really understand cameras. I didn't want to go through all of that. So I love the theater and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to produce a play. I'm going to mm -hmm. find a play that's been written and I'm going to find a, a small cast, really contained play that I can do. And I'm going to play the lead and I'm going to raise $20,000 and I'm just going to do it. And I Amazing. didn't know how. And I was Love like, I'm that. just going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and I Fuck did. It. Yeah, that's quite a reasonable amount of money to raise as well. It's and I don't know why. And that was <laughs> exactly completely like, now. I just said 20 because it sounded like the right number. I had no idea or research on any of this, by the way. That's how you make budgets. <laughs> you just pick <laughs> a number. At the time, I was like, sure, 20K sounds good. Like someone had told me, oh, stages in LA cost about this much. And so I was like, mm, I did the math. But but just it was one of those serendipitous things where where I like I have this metaphor where, it, you know, whereas acting had felt very difficult and challenging, like boarded up houses in a horror movie that say, get out, don't come like producing. Then all of a sudden became like a wonderland where with lush, you know, green mm -hmm. lawns where everybody mm -hmm. was like, welcome, Carolina. We've been waiting for you, you know, <laughs> and, and I was just like, this, this is easy comparatively. Yeah. Not that producing is easy. It's so hard. It's definitely the mm -hmm. hardest of the things as you guys know but at the time I was just blown away so I produced the play while working three part-time jobs I was the lead I nearly killed oh, myself because wow. that's what you do when you have that energy in your mm -hmm. 20s um yeah and energy. Uh, what's energy I know right <laughs> now it's like that. <laughs> I know uh it's real my parents used to tell me that and I was like mm. No, just you wait and see yeah. and it just hits you. Right. But, um, but no, so that really was kind of what set me on that path. And I thought, well, maybe I'll get better representation. I'll get discovered by a casting director, but mm -hmm. really everybody came up to me and was just impressed that I had put the show together and I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, mm -hmm. they were like, if you put this together, not knowing what you're doing, imagine what you could do if you knew what you were doing. And so mm -hmm. I just listened to that, you know, I was like, there's something here. And when I went through that experience, I was like, oh, this is producing, like, I've just been doing this my whole life like this yep, is just yep. who I am it was so innate to who I was already and it made sense and so I just started learning by leaning into every opportunity that came my way I said yes if a friend had a short I would do it if somebody had a commercial and they needed a PA I would go if a producer needed it you know I just did yeah I said yes to literally everything while juggling all the jobs and um and that paid off you know and some years later I got a um a job working for a, a doctor as like a just a survival job who was in the autism field and mm. he knew I had this passion for producing. And one day he was like, Hey, I have this idea for this, this, I want to do this thing with adults on the spectrum and romantic relationships. And you've been producing, right? You think you could produce a doc? And I was like, yeah, yeah. figure it out. I got that in my, uh, my belt. <laughs> it's in my luck of that one. can't be that difficult. And I did. And again, I leaned in. Had I Did I have the burning desire to produce docs? That I didn't even know anything about autism, but turned out that the, that combo was actually really great for that particular project because it meant 
neither myself nor the director had an agenda because we didn't really know anything about autism. We just were like curious about the subject. Mm. Um, and that project went on to become Emmy nominated and we Woo-hoo! sold, yeah, and we sold to Netflix, which at the time was a huge deal. And, mm. and, still, and, still a huge deal. <laughs> still a huge still deal, deal, right? Yeah. But like, we're, we're going to take that one away from you. Yeah. This is before <laughs> Netflix was making content. So it was right. like, there was no other, that was the place, you know? But, um, but yeah, so that's like a sort of quick, overview I don't want to take up too much of your of your time with with that but like just top line of how I, I jump-started things um but you know many years of struggle in between it wasn't like yeah of course crushing it and thriving it's it was like I'd say it's taken me it hasn't been until the last three to four years where I can say no I make a living as a producer now and I don't have to like you know build Ikea furniture to help so offset my my expenses. I think it's really interesting what you said about sort of waiting for a you know a golden ticket because you know there's definitely definitely if you're sort of going your own path it's it's very it's very difficult if you're sort of hoping for that one kind of break. Mm. Uh, and it's it's really interesting that in a way your your break you could say sort of happened just by your attitude being incredibly positive and throwing yourself into stuff and being open to you know a, an opportunity with the the autism film that, yeah. that kind of you know, caught you unexpectedly uh, and and you know in a way that you could look at that as your golden ticket but not in the way that people traditionally you know envisions what that kind of uh, career leap might be yeah I mean I think it's important when you're starting out to like like I said leaning into what is accessible what is around you but also then being mindful to periodically check in with yourself so you're not just getting swept up in someone else's version of your life mm-hmm. because you're really good at doing that thing and all of a sudden you've been doing paperwork for five years and you're like, wait, but I wanted to be a director. How did I get here? You know, I think it's easy to get caught in that because there is that version of like golden handcuffs, even within the film industry, right? Where you can get stuck in these parts of it where it's not really where you want to be. It's a stepping stone, but maybe that leap never comes. But Mm -hmm. I think the scary thing is you constantly have to be leapfrogging and you constantly have to be asserting yourself. That's the other part of it. Like no one came to me with the exception of the autism guy who wasn't in the business. And that's the only reason he came to me and was like, Hey, you've been doing this. Come over here. Let me give you this opportunity. I had to ask for every opportunity. I had to say, no, I've been doing this for three years. Now I'm at this level. If you want to hire me, this is my rate. And this is what I do now. And you have to, it's like, the fake it till you make it, I don't subscribe to that because it it creates this idea of being disingenuous, which I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more about knowing when you're ready to make a jump, right? Knowing when you're actually ready to that you've mastered some part of the process where you go, okay, I'm comfortable here and I need to get uncomfortable again. And that's the leap, right? Is to say, okay, maybe I've never production supervised a feature. I've never production managed a thing. I've been a coordinator, but I've seen it enough. I've been around it enough that I mm-hmm. think I could I could take that next step and actually deliver and be good to the person hiring me and to myself, right? Every turn in my career, like that's how every opportunity has come is me saying, hey, hi, hello, this is me. Here's what I've been doing. Uh, I'm not just sitting around. I'm doing all of this stuff and I'm grateful for the stuff I've gotten to do, but I want to do this next level of the thing and you could be the answer to that next level of the thing what if an opportunity comes around and you give me an opportunity to do that thing and oftentimes people said yes you know like you said just just having that attitude yeah yeah i mean i think it's i think it's believing on, on the one hand believing that you are capable of making stuff at, at the level that you want to be making stuff when, when you're not and i think on the other hand it's having the responsibility to really make sure that you're doing everything in your power if you're given that chance to you know make something way beyond what you've done before and to not let people down uh, and yeah. i think those those two kind of elements are, are really great for pushing yourself beyond your boundaries and um, getting those chances and it's wonderful that y- you you're also saying look you can go out there and do it you've just got to pro- be proactive and you're a perfect example of that and you're going well look yeah. i wasn't sat on my bum waiting for an acting role i went out and got stuff myself and then that led to you doing some something else and keep going keep finding your journey and your path oh oh gosh robbie's calling oh my god uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to get this he won't stop calling if i don't Hey, Robbie! Lovely to hear from you. Hey, Giles. Hey. So, you know I went to that wedding the other week. Oh, yeah. How'd it go? It was okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Right. One of them's now dead. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's good news for the other the other person because uh, obviously well, they get all their Bitcoin. Um, oh, you got proceeds. them Bitcoin in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that right. that's a silver lining. Yeah. And why are you bringing me to tell me this? Well, because I'm, you know, going to the funeral next week. And I thought, you know, uh, you, you always give me such great advice. I thought you might have some advice for what kind of speech to do at the funeral of the person who's dead. Yeah. Um, it was my granddad actually gave me some sound advice on his deathbed. Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, always invest in good speakers. Sound advice. Mm. Do you know, um, there's a website that tracks dead coins, talking of Bitcoin. There's nearly 2,000 deceased cryptocurrencies right now. How can a cryptocurrency be deceased? Um, because they're projects that were abandoned or they stopped being developed or turned out to be scams. Right. And their websites are down. Right. But Bitcoin's not like that. Bitcoin's alive and well. It is. And you know who has almost seven years of experience in the industry with a dedicated customer service team on hand to help? It's going to be those Coin Corner guys, isn't it? It is Coin Corner. And if you sign up to Coin Corner now and use the voucher code FilmBTC, you can get your Bitcoin journey started with some free sats. Amazing. Well... Okay, but how does that help me with my, my issue with the funeral speech? Yeah, good point. Yeah, well, to help you when you're there, I suppose you need to know how to make holy water, right? I guess that might help. You boil the hell out of it. <laughs> but good luck, Robbie. All the best. I hope that the person who didn't die is, you know, you like them. And... <laughs> I can't believe we did a whole skit on someone dying. Thanks, Charles. Um, I'll try that holy water trick. <laughs> See if that goes down well in the church. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry about that. He's so insensitive. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> how did you then, when uh, the wonderful doctor said, let's make autism in love, how did you then go about it? What was your process? How did you manage to raise the funds? Did they all come yeah. through the doctor? How did it happen? And how did you piece this documentary together so i said all right i don't know how to make a doc but there what are the documentaries that have come out recently that mm -hmm. i respond to that i think are beautiful that could be a version of this and i just emailed those filmmakers and i said hey nice. i'm this person and here's what i'm doing and i like your project and i'm doing research to put together my first doc and i'd love to just take 30 minutes out of your time and ask you some very specific questions which i think is an important note because i get hit up a lot to like mm -hmm. hey can i just pick your brain and learn about your producer journey and I'm like here's eight podcasts where I've talked about my producing <laughs> journey like if you have yeah, yeah. specific questions I'm 100% down to help guide you but I can't just yap away like I just mm -hmm. don't have that time anymore yeah. you know so it's frustrating when people ask that and and you know that they haven't done the base research on stuff yeah they haven't, it they is haven't unfortunate been. and that's also for me it's like i i, I don't want to give that person my time of day you know mm. it's I, and i will gladly answer and go here's you know all the podcasts i've been a guest on please if you if you still feel like there's a question you have after you listen to eight hours of content like by all means hit me up but like <laughs> yeah, absolutely you know, by then you'll know me pretty well yeah and you'll, you'll know be tired of hearing the same you. story over and over again I but that um, in some, <laughs> Subcategory B, but no, I think it's that. It's like I, I knew that I didn't want to just be like, "How did you make this project?" Because it would have mm. been like, "How? Where do I begin to tell you?" Mm. Right? Like, so I had very specific questions, and I knew from the research I had done that a lot of the issues that docs who were independently financed ran up against was that they run out of money. Right? They don't think about posts, and I was like, "Okay, don't want to do that," and I don't want this to be ten years of my life. I don't no. want to be shooting this on weekends for ten years. So. I told the doctor, I was like, I've done the research and here's how we make this. We're going to have one year from start to finish where mm -hmm. we shoot this and whatever we get in the can in that one year, that's the documentary we'll make. And we just hope it turns out great. Maybe it becomes, we don't know what it's going to become, but that's the plan. And that's mm -hmm. the best way to keep costs low, to keep, I told him, you know, to have me and a director who is exclusive to this project because we can actually live off of this for a year, but we can't live off of this, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I was like, this particular subject matter is sensitive and we're catching it at the right time. If we wait five years, we're going to miss the window. Yeah. You know, someone yeah. else is going to have done this particular subject matter because I, 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 being his assistant, I had done the research and I was like, wait a minute, like there's literally nothing out there. Like no one's talked, there's no book, there's no article, there's nothing on the subject of adults on the spectrum 
and how they, what, what romantic relationships looks like for them. You know, Mm -hmm. it's all about parents worrying and fearing if their kid will ever find love, which is a fair point of view, but like at any rate, so I knew that there was something there. And so that's how I went about it. And so I told him how much we would need. And I said, you know, this is how the, I spoke to a lot of people short answer, right. And got a lot of information and would ask a friend who would then connect me to this other person. It took a long time, took like six months to get all this information put together properly. But then I knew I was like, here's the least amount we could do it for if we do this plan um, and we can go raise money. But if we do just know that this is how the pools work of like the investor pool and the producer pool. And if we have an investor on like they, that person may want to be creatively involved. And it's a question, do we want to deal with that as producers? Cause he was an executive producer on it. And ultimately he decided he didn't want to risk it. It was his baby. And he ended up financing the whole thing, but wow. we had to go through that very tumultuous exercise where I was like, if you don't let me know what you want to do, like I need to go take an in-house position job mm-hmm. and the director is not going to be available. We need to start on this date. So it was that. And then uh, taking those six months con- in conjunction with that to really understand what autism was and to introduce ourselves to the communities here in Los Angeles, because we didn't want to just roll up guns blazing like, hey, we're Hollywood. We're here to make a movie about you. You know, <laughs> like we wanted people to trust us that we had the integrity to be dealing with a very sensitive subject matter. And that just takes time mm-hmm. to build that trust. And so we spent the time doing both of those things simultaneously so that when we were ready to hit the ground running, we did. And we shot over the course of nine months. We also had an editor start at the six month mark so they could be cutting before our period ended to be like, Oh, you need to go back and get this piece. You're missing this. Like I just knew we needed to have all those components from talking to people who had been, you know, gracious enough to share with me their lessons learned. And that's how we put it together. And then, you know, very, very grateful that the subject matter, unfortunately, you know, resonated with a lot of people. So we ended up getting a lot of our posts donated, which is what allowed us to keep our numbers to what it ended up being, Mm -hmm. which is super, super low, tiny. Um, And then the project went on to do incredible things. Mm -hmm. Tribeca Film Festival, you know, that's where I had it premiered there, right? I mean, how Yeah, world premiere. Wow. It was amazing. But it was one of those moments too, where I remember being like, wow, like this is awesome, right? Like we all dream of a moment where you premiere your movie at a festival like this and you're the talk of the town for five days, but it ends, it ends. It's very short lived experience. And I was like, man, if you are constantly chasing this high and if this is why you're in the game, like you're gonna be really disappointed because it takes so long to maybe get this moment. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you get the moment, enjoy it, relish it, be present for it, but I've been chasing that high ever since. And that was 2015, you know, mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of incredible work, mm-hmm. but to be a part of something that I've helped soup to nuts, bring to life, to be in a room packed with audiences and parents of adults on the spectrum, children on the spectrum who come up to you and shake your hand after and say, your movie has made me feel like this is possible. Like cool. what? Like that's why we do this, yeah. right? We, mm. we to get that human interaction. And oftentimes with film, you don't know how your work is going to impact someone. And so to get that feedback in real time, that's what made that experience of autism and love for me just so magical. And I feel immensely grateful that that was the start of my producing career. Like how lucky, how lucky. I, yeah. I yeah, am. That's, you know? that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think there's, there's, there's so many times when I've been in the cinema and I've watched a certain film and it's just been one of those kind of life-changing moments of, of watching something when it it just seems to answer all your questions in life or you know a, a struggle you're going through and if you can be the person that's giving an audience that there's no greater kind of gift you can do it. it's such a worthwhile yeah, venture I agree. coming from a bit of a narrative background going into documentary what was what was it like for you in terms of the actual process uh, of making that and and you know how, how the what you'd planned in advance versus the editing process for a documentary Can you talk a little bit about that yeah well we it's so funny how much docs have evolved but at 2012ish when we were making this that sort of you know, I think Jira Dreams of Sushi had just come out you know and that was the first doc I think that showed people like wait a minute, you can shoot something beautifully and stylized 
food can be shot this way, not like the Food Network. Mm-hmm. You can have a character piece on a chef. Like docs were really informational and incredible up until that point. But that doc, I think, marks it when it changed and it became cinematic. And then everybody was like, we want a cinematic documentary. Mm-hmm. We want this to be cinematically shot. And, and then it started teetering into narrative territory. And now it's like sometimes, you know, indiscernible between the two. But we, we knew we wanted to approach it like that. We knew we wanted it to be portraits of these people and that, you know, you cannot put a production end date on someone's life. So we were going to get what we were going to get. And we spent nine months with 12 different sets of couples and individuals, knowing that we had to follow the cookie crumbs where they were going to take us. And we just got gold. We got some incredible things that were happening in those people's lives at that time. And they allowed us to come in and be a part of that experience. And so once we started seeing, hey, like this is going on with this couple and this kid is really interesting, we just started to follow that more and start to carve out what is the narrative and then what when it end when we ended up editing it we realized there were really you too many characters on a feature length doc it becomes like too much to follow so we knew we had to keep it to like three central mm-hmm. characters and so it became this beautiful piece on we had a young kid in his 20s who was still kind of finding himself we had a couple who were in their 30s um, who were you know taking that step to get married and then we had an older man Stephen who was I think in his 50s who had been married for 20 plus years and a very, you know, almost, almost nonverbal on the spectrum. And you go, so we kind of ran the gamut of like the different stages of a relationship as well. Mm -hmm. And that helped carve the structure of the film for us. But that's the thing with docs that is terrifying, but beautiful is that it tells you what it wants to be. It tells you the blueprint, but you also have to be very discerning because you can make with any doc, you can make like 18 different versions of that movie. Well, with any movie, right? One could argue, but docs specifically, because you have so much footage right. yeah. and it's like, where do you point the camera? Mm-hmm. How will you cut something? All of that changes the game completely. So yeah, we had a, a very long editing process, but we had an incredibly talented editor, Alex O'Flynn, who we just got lucky to get him when we got him and he's gone on to do big big stuff now but he just felt really passionate about it and you know everybody worked for peanuts so it was just a magical process altogether Mm. well you've obviously you mentioned there about uh having that golden window uh you've got talk of the town looking back now would you have done something differently when you were the talk of the town would you've had other things ready perhaps or 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 not yeah you Mm -hmm. would okay I would have, but I had heard from many people like, oh, you're going to go to a festival. Everybody's going to ask what your next thing is. Have a next thing. But I just didn't have one. I just, I couldn't force it. I didn't have anything. You know, it just wasn't there. And so all I had was a calling card to say, I have myself and my hustle and my desire to continue to learn and grow. Hopefully Mm -hmm. that's enough. But I was able to leverage the success of the project to open doors for myself in other ways. And also what I did after that, you know, Doc's Notoriously, you don't make a lot of money. And I think talking about money and your finances to support yourself as a producer, as someone Mm -hmm. who's working production is very important, not often talked about. And so, you know, I made very little and I was like, all right, I need to go make some money now, guys. And I also want to learn how I work within a production team because I was alone. I did literally everything. I was my PA. I was my accountant. I had to teach myself all those skills. And now that I have other people to do those jobs for me, it's like I'm so grateful. But I've really touched every rung of that ladder, even ones I didn't want to, you know, to get where I'm at. So but yeah, like I worked then I did commercials for a while and I got to learn Ah, true production and paperwork and what insurance certs mean and how to properly do POs and like how to deal with clients, all that stuff that is somewhat different. It's a different shade, but it all is part of under, you know, lives under the same umbrella. So I got to make a little bit of money mm-hmm. and really seat myself into production where I wasn't like the point. I got to be a part of a team. And that was um, very informative to learn how I wanted to be and who I didn't want to be, the kind of leader I didn't want to be when I got there and to see what was possible. And so all of it is is copy for your life. And I think copy for who you're going to be if you look at it that way. And that's how I've always tried to look at it. And then look, I, I don't want people to think it's like sunshine and rainbows. And I'm mm-hmm. just like this positive person and everything just flows to me. Like you guys are catching me at a moment where for six months, great things have been happening. But there have been periods where that hasn't been the case. And I've thought about quitting because it's really hard and you don't make a lot of money and it's a thankless job and you invest all of yourself into a creative team and then they go on 
you know, right off into the sunset with the studio mm-hmm. and they leave you behind. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heartbreak. It's yep. really hard. And so I, I started the podcast, especially particularly for that, you know, angle on producers, because mm-hmm. I resented that people started to look at what I've built because of social media and think that it's been sunshine and rainbows. And it's just been like me hanging out with celebs and going to film festivals or whatever they think. Like <laughs> I wanted them to understand, yeah, the realities of what it takes to do this kind of work and who you have to be to do this kind of work, the, the stamina that is required for your soul to sustain the the massive blows that comes with being a part of this business. Um, so yeah. I think that's important. I, I think, I think it, it's, it's always been something that I've like really believed in and um, is the idea of, and I've, I've spoken to so many directors and, and you know, some, a couple that have been on the podcast have, have said stuff like, um, you know, every, every single day, no matter how sure my project is, there's that feeling that things are all going to go horribly wrong and it's not going to get yeah. off the ground or I'm never going to make another film again. And, and then you sort of compare that against how their career looks on paper. And, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of filmmakers spend huge amounts of time, you know, wondering about whether stuff's going to you know, happen or whether it's going to be delayed. Um, and they have setbacks and projects that they wanted to go that take longer. And, and from the outside, because of social media, it's very easy to look at other filmmakers in your, you know, in your bubbles or, or in the sort of the wider social mm-hmm. world. And it looks like everyone's doing amazingly. Of course. And, it, and it's all just happened That's overnight. That's the highlight reel, right? Like yeah, no one's, is po- highlight reel. No one's posting ha- about the shit. Exactly. And you just have, you have mm-hmm. to be aware of that, that people don't show that, but, but, you know, I think everyone goes through it and that's, it's just that, you know, whether you think about giving up, it's just whether you actually do or not. And that's, everyone goes through it. I go through it. I have existential crises in every month, probably. And every producer I've had on my podcast, people who won Academy Awards, people who are super impressive, people who you may stalk and think they've got it all figured out, who are rich, who's got it all. They too shared the same feeling, you know, and that's what I've learned, Mm -hmm. which is very inspiring, but also depressing because you're like, oh, so you're telling me that no matter how high you climb, it never really gets Mm -hmm. easier. It's always a a Mm -hmm. version of this, right? But then it gives you the option to go, if this is as good as it gets, and maybe the difference is like the money or the access or the exposure, is that enough for you? Is that what going mm. to be enough? Is that what you want to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, mm. I mean, I think I think the the way that I've always looked at it is, can I imagine not doing it? And mm. that that's never sort of weighed up more strongly than the sort of horrendous pain of, of getting projects yeah. on the ground. Mm. Yeah, it hurt too I much. I, don't, I think it, it, you fall in love with this business and you fall in love hard. And yeah. you do yeah. when you're not doing it, it hurts. It really yeah. does. It is like an ex when you're not doing it or you're prepping projects constantly. I mean, I don't know about you, Carolina, but I'm, I, I have so many projects. I know Dom does too. And you did just yes. this one goes for a little bit and you, you're talking with the producer about that one or this one goes, and you're talking to the director about that one. And then suddenly another one from the past starts moving again, or you're in the middle of post on another one. It, it's a really weird process where you, and I think what, what you were saying there, Dom makes total sense. You, any minute now it could all fall apart or it could all just happen. You know, like you're going off to Atlanta now. You know, it's be the, but yeah, the prep you're always all, on that balance, on right? That balance like, ah, could yeah. all fall down. I'm like, yeah, say when yeah. I first started and I only had one project, it hurt so much when it all just fell apart. It hurt like, ah, I'd cried for days. Oh, and God, I did, yeah, the heartbreak, honestly, the heartbreak. Yeah, it was a heartbreak. No, it's, the heartbreak. it's real. It's, it's real. It is, it is real. And I think when people are starting out to know that, that we've, we all have been there. We haven't just landed on our feet. We've worked our asses off mm. to get here. And it's obvious you have as well. I, I had a, the good fortune last year of when the pandemic hit, I, for the, for the first time in my life, I had a career coach, which I like living in LA. I'm like, Oh wow. God, you know, it's like everybody and their mother is a life coach or career coach. But this woman, Laverne McKinnon, who's now been on my show, she nice. is also a producer mm-hmm. and she started coaching because she realized there wasn't a place where producers could talk to other producers about the grief we experience in our business mm. that sometimes our, our, our significant others or our family and friends can't quite grasp the gravity of like losing a project or mm. an actor passing when you've waited six months, like yes. all of this yes. stuff, right? Because we care so much. And she was the first person to kind of 
put it in that frame for me. And it just made so much sense. And, and to see someone even at her level with the first look deal and very fancy, blah, 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 still struggle with that, still feel that, still have people not return her emails or her phone calls or, you know, it's, um, it's really eye opening and humbling. And I think it's important that the journey can feel very singular a lot of times for independent producers, but to know we're not alone and that at any given moment, there's another producer who's feeling what you're feeling, going mm. through what you're going through, whether that's, you know, too much time on set and not taking care of their bodies or not having worked for months and wondering what the hell or, you know, on the brink of like get winning an Academy Award. Like at any given moment, there's someone sharing that life experience with you who gets it on a level that I've learned other people just can't quite understand because like you said what we do is so unique and it's such a unique world it's such a unique field that you just have to understand it on its like deepest molecular level to even talk about it you know totally so, yeah, yeah. It can, and, and I said like so it can be heartbreaking but that's why now I'd never just have one project it's too mm -hmm. it hurts too much so you, at least if that one's gone yeah. you can grieve but you, you gotta want... be polyamorous right yeah, exactly. you can't just be in like yeah. a monogamous relationship no exactly <laughs> you're in a polyamorous relationship with filmmaking that's yeah. great that's on a t-shirt right? that one for that's sure that's it filmmaking sure. is polyamorous absolutely yep. but your, your podcast Angle on Producing is fantastic it's great I've had a, I've had a real good listen and it's great and i suggest anyone to go there and uh, do listen to that as well a link will be in the show notes to that by the way um moving on to your second like well documentary if you like when the one that's just come out now hysterical yeah hysterical the, amazing the difference what was the difference between the two then in terms of you as a producer it'd be really interesting Gosh, to know. i mean so different <laughs> right because now yeah. that that was uh, not 10 years later, but a good number of years later. It's, and now it's not I'm far like, off. yeah, 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 just a very different producer. I was a wee babe back then. And now mm -hmm. I feel like I have my sea legs under me a bit, but very different just in terms of like, this was a project I was sort of a for hire producer on. I didn't conceive of this. I wasn't involved with the creative. It wasn't something I thought about. I didn't put the team together. So Campfire, which is the production company, we have been looking for something to do together for a long time. And they're really incredible because Ross Gerard, who's also been on the podcast, Mm -hmm. who's the head of production there he's come up freelance line producing so he gets it he kind of gets the hustle he gets the struggle and he's really great at empowering the producers he brings to run these projects for him to just do it up you know and just kind of make it their own and put their own like uh, fingerprint on it and so he had brought this to me um top of 2019 and it took six months for a variety of reasons there was like you know director fell out it was all this stuff but it was one of those projects that it was a healthy budget for a doc compared to what i was used to and it came financed and it was a studio project effectively like wow, it great. already had distribution with effects so it was very nice to go out to people and go hey uh you know fortune Feimster, who's a stand-up comedian, yeah. this is a project that will see the light of day. Like there is distribution, like you will get, this will be seen, you know? And mm. I think people knowing that in the doc space makes them feel a lot more willing, especially because no one was paid for that, right? Mm. So it makes them more willing to invite you into their 100%. home and behind the scenes to really yeah. um, capture what we were able to capture. But again, magical. I mean, I got to be the on-the-ground producer. I line produced and was involved with a good chunk of posts before the pandemic hit. But, you know, I got to really... Just just again, dive into the deep end of this world that I love stand-up comedy. I mean, I grew right. up watching SNL, which I know is sketch, but to be on stage at the Comedy Cellar, to get to be in the presence of these um, up-and-comers and, -comers and uh, some mm. legends of amazing the business. female comedians. You're just amazing. like, what is my, again, like just what is my life, right? To get to have access in an unpretentious way because you're not pressed, you're not, you don't want anything from them. You're just kind of there. I mean, it's just a really interesting point of access into someone else's point of view in their yeah. life and so it was incredible but we shot it pretty quickly I mean we started that production September of 2019 and by February we were pretty much picture locked which again for a doc considering we weren't shooting every day we were kind of like three days here five days there depending on a veil of like mm -hmm. 20 different very busy women that yeah. was the hardest part of it all is juggling mm -hmm. the calendars and the avails and like, oh, but yeah, it was just, we had very limited windows of shooting, but again, like just what we got was so incredible. But Andrea Nevin's a director differently from Autism in Love. She already had the structure in her head of these are the themes she wants to talk about and all of them ended up in the final product, which is 
not to glamorize romantic uh, stand-up comedy, but to really understand the journey of the journey women, the, the comedians who don't go on to become Amy Schumer's, who don't go on to become these powerhouse names. Hollywood is really good at making you feel like people are an overnight success or press is always about the positive and no one's talking about like, you know, the one movie that's like, think about like Sundance last year when Palm Springs sold for $22 million. Well, no one was doing an article on the hundred other filmmakers who didn't sell their films and are in debt. You know what I mean? Like, and that's just a, a reality of the disparity of our business. And I'm not saying we need to like, constantly harp on how how hard it is because I think people know and they still choose to get in it. But I think it's important to make sure you're constantly have the finger on the pulse of the realities of of what it is. Because if you're just head in the sky, then your feet aren't on the ground. But if your feet are always too planted on the ground, you got to be able to dream a little as well. And I think that balance is Everybody just has to find it for themselves. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. What's it, what do you have you found the difference between docs and then features and the, the bits of telly that you've done and the bits of all the sort of wonderful shorts that you've made and stuff? What would you find the difference as a producer? And is there any specific skills that work one for the other, or um, like me, you just tie them all into making it make sure things work? I think it's so specific to the producer, but for me, like. I consider myself a very nimble, agile, thrifty producer. So whatever, wherever you drop me, I'm going to figure it out. Whether you tell me, hey, you have $3 to do this, or you have $300,000, or you have 10 days, or you have 100 days, I'm going to look at the full picture and figure out the best way forward. And that's just kind of how I am, because so much of my career has been getting to play in all kinds of sandboxes. And I've loved getting to do that, whether it's really short form content to digital series, to docs, to like mm-hmm. big, you know, union features. I love the stamina and of the, the race that you have to have for the marathon, the marathon rather for yeah, the features. Is, yeah. And then the sprints, you know, of the shorter projects. I also think you get to kind of collect the people you want to bring with you into your journey and, and like do the longer ones with. And so I think it's, it's, um, there really is no difference in my opinion. It's just like, a shade of the same color is the best I can describe it for me. You know, um, there's different, the biggest, I guess, difference from a production standpoint is I have learned also the hard way that what a coordinator, for example, and I speak, of course, in the States, I, I know very little about how the UK functions, but here, like what a coordinator does in a, fe- in a union feature film versus a coordinator in a commercial can often be quite different. And so when I am mounting up a project that is longer, like a feature or a doc, the first thing I do is I have a meeting with the production team I've hired and I go, hey, like, here's what I'm used to a coordinator doing. Here's what I'm used to this position doing. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're used to doing? Because I want to make sure we're on the same page and not find out week four that I thought you were doing a thing that you weren't doing, (laughs) you know? So that has been a big lesson for me. I had a feature where that I didn't do that and I learned the hard way. So I think that's so important yeah. and so lovely to hear out loud. And it's it's something that's been on my mind for a while, you know, going on set for that first time. And often there isn't time and we use that as an excuse. But how great would it be if you could go around everyone and say, right, what do you think your role is? This is what I think it is. Can we discuss this? Because we don't want yeah. you clashing with that person over there or clashing with me or mm-hmm. being upset because you don't know what where the boundaries are. Let's discuss it. How amazing I think that would be if we could do that and we should yeah. do that but we people don't do they just presume people don't they just presume but I think yeah, that's where yeah. you get in trouble and also within production teams people have different styles of working because it depends on how you've come up in the business like if you've come up always working in traditional television for example you're very used to a certain power dynamic you're used to delineations of roles and I do this mm-hmm. I don't do that but I've come up where like if you the person isn't available, like I do it all. You yeah, know, I do yeah, it all, same. and I can do it all. I don't want to do it all, but th- then I want to be able to understand. Hey, I can do it all, but I want to do this part of the process on this one, and I'm expecting you to do these other four things. Is that what you're expecting? And they go, Oh yeah, that's normally what I do. And I go, Great, awesome. But sometimes you don't get that, and and when you're crossing people over, particularly from film and TV, in my experience, that's when you've run into road bumps of like oh no, I don't ever touch this thing. It's always the accounting team. And I'm like, really? Like, I've d- I don't come from the world where the accounting team does that, but that's good to know because mm. now I can 
make sure I'm informed and, and making those calls. So, so for me on, like I said, on a feature, like the one in Atlanta, that'll be my, I, it's, I'm working with a team I've never worked before because everybody's okay. local. Mm-hmm. So that was going to be my first day one guys let's, during lunch. Let's talk about this. Like, right. what is everybody doing? What are you used to doing? What do you hate doing, but you're going to have to do anyway. And what are the things that you're hungry to learn mm-hmm. that if I'm overwhelmed, can I throw it on your plate That's because great. you get it yeah. and mm-hmm. you want to get to that next level? Is it like looking at location contracts? Great. I don't need to do that like whatever <laughs> yeah. you know who wants to do that hands up <laughs> you know but some but people do yeah it is a necessary part of the process it that's is. not sexy or glamorous but mm-hmm. you got to do it it's got to get done so yeah. so i like to i like to really be a collaborative leader in that sense and hopefully um people respond to it <laughs> yeah. and like that you know and i don't i don't know i think it makes the work more fun than like being sort of stuffy about it all and i don't know it just doesn't really vibe with my my ethos so mm. yeah it's yeah. lovely that's really nice. Um, if you could have a billboard anywhere in the world, but everyone can see it, what would you put on there? You can put anything you like. Hmm. Something like be kind and trust the process. Nice. Something like that, more like eloquently or with a pun in there, or funnier or something. But <laughs> the pun in there, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some yeah. IKEA furniture in the background. Something, something. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. that would make you go like, huh, and laugh and like, all right, yeah, okay. But it has a thought process. But it has behind. a thought and a meaning behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's cool. So that's really that's nice. That's what I'd want. Yeah. Love it. And finally, um, someone coming up in the business right now. Uh, some hungry, exciting young producer and maybe they've just finished film school or maybe they've just fancied doing this because they've listened to this podcast or your amazing podcast and they went, right, how do I do it? What bit of advice would you give them? Simple but hard to do, which is start where you are. You know, like if you can't get to Los Angeles, you can't get to the, the, indus- the, the cities where you think the industry is and where it's all happening, that's mm. okay. What can you create right where you are? I always Love like to that, say, yeah. I... I refuse to think things aren't possible. I see opportunity and possibility everywhere I look. If you if you plopped me anywhere in the planet within a month or a year, I'd be like running something there because I, that's that. just how I'm wired. And it's not, sure. like I said, it's not for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to really understand if you have the kind of personality type that is required to thrive as a producer. I think that's the most important. And be honest with yourself if that isn't the case. There's no shame in saying, hey, I don't want to be always having to spearhead my own projects and effectively be an entrepreneur. I want to work in a team. I want to work in a company. I want to be like a creative executive. I just want to not be safe because nothing is safe, but just in a more structured environment. And I think that's also valid so that you can decide what path you want to take as a producer. It's something Something I didn't know coming up, right? I just leaned into what was there. But if you're in a town where that is not like that is so far removed from what's possible, yeah. then that's what I would say. Like, look at the projects that you admire. How do you make your version of those films? You know, and if you can't make that, but you have like your uncle has a boat, can you shoot something on a boat? It's a mm-hmm. free boat. Like, what could you do? If you had one day to shoot on a boat and just challenge yourself in creating great art and really finding the people to take you on that journey. And I think that's that's where you start. But no, I think that unless you're independently wealthy or a trust fund baby or whatever, you're going to have to do that while doing jobs to pay for your life for Absolutely. a while until you can until those worlds can collide. But if you keep at it, like it 100% will. It's just a matter of time. And then, yeah, take care of yourself in that process. You got to make sure you take time so that when you get there, you're not a bitter, jaded asshole. Like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It's so true. And that thing is, even if you are, you'll be off the set quicker than you can say, uh, build me an arc, you know. And then what's the point? What is the point? What is the point? Um, This has been absolutely fabulous. Um, Thank you so much. Do go watch Carolina's work, um, Autism in Love, or Hysterical, or any of the other. I will put links to all this in the show notes. I'll put a website as well, and her podcast, Angle on Producers. If you want to be a producer, do go listen, do go support absolutely incredible thank you so much it's been really really brilliant i've loved talking to you you. you're really inspiring and i can see why you'd make a great producer you can just tell sometimes people uh, have that and the right ethos and the understanding to get shit done but also uh, make sure it's done in the right way no i mean thank you so much thank you for having me on thank you for sharing the space and for the people listening for listening to me blabber about (laughs) uh 
I'm very passionate about it clearly so it's it matters to me and I'm happy I get to have the good fortune to share it with others and I hope it helps inform their journey and their path amazing so. and where can people find you on the social medias give us your links Carolina yeah Carolina Gropa Google me baby I'm all over there <laughs> So I'm on IG, my Angle on Producers is on there. And if you like the, the podcast, if you check it out, let me know what you think mm-hmm. of it. I, I, I'm a one woman band for that show. I do everything Amazing. alone. So I am looking to grow and add people to help me because when I'm in production, it's just not possible. Yeah, but, I have people um, do it when I'm in production. I get someone to yeah. just put it up because it's too hard. It's too just too much. much. But yeah. But I love doing mm. it. And so, you know, if people listen and like the show, I just ask that they hit me up. Let me know. Subscribe to the show. As you know, Definitely. it's very important. And give it a five star review um, as well. Give it a five star review. Yeah. And it's it's a growing, tiny but mighty community that I'm very proud of. Um, and it's for all people, not just people who are interested in producers or producing. I think if you are a creative and a filmmaker, you too can benefit from understanding the nuances of what it means to do this work and what producers look for in those collaborators, which I get asked a lot. Like, what, how do I get a producer? It's like, well, listen to these other people who are way more impressive than me tell you what they look for and find a way to create that and be that. So then mm. it's a no-brainer for them. Totally, totally so. agree. Yay. Uh, you can go, yay, you can go out there and make your <laughs> indie film or your documentary or your studio movie. Just know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And if you're yes. lucky enough to rise up and do well, just as Carolina has done, it is your duty to send the elevator back down and we will see you next Tuesday as always Carolina Groffa thank you so much it's been amazing chatting to you Carolina thank you so much such a pleasure take care everyone all the best bye bye